0: I think we all recognize that we as Christians, we feel a constant tension in our lives. Indeed, we live with a tension in this world. And the tension comes because on the one hand, we know that our God, He is our loving Father. And He is the sovereign Lord who is moving history toward His set purpose to bring glory to Himself and bring blessing to us. And knowing that, knowing that our God, He is sovereign over all the world, knowing that He has a a definite purpose through history, knowing that we have confidence in life, and we have confidence even when life, and especially when life becomes hard and difficult. But on the other hand, as as we consider our place in this world, we realize that, We live in a world where we are a small minority and the vast majority of the world is following its own agenda instead of listening to God's word and obeying his will. And so our faith is constantly under assault. And when our faith is being assaulted, we often wonder, where is this loving and sovereign God? And if God is truly loving and sovereign, why does evil befall us? And why does He not answer our prayers quickly? And so there is a tension in our lives. On the one hand, we know who God is. We know that He reigns. But on the other hand, our faith is assaulted constantly in this world. And the thing is that we will continue to live with this tension because This is not a perfect utopia where everything is working out perfectly and where everyone is perfectly sanctified. That certainly was not the experience of ancient Israel, and it certainly is not our experience today. So reading these four chapters and considering these four chapters, we can learn how we can live with this tension and how to live well In this baffling world. And the first thing that we learn is that it does no good to trust in man. It does no good to trust in man. Now, as I explained to you earlier, Isaiah chapter 17 and 20, if they form a coherent and a logical unit, Uh, From chapter 17, verse 1 through chapter 19, verse 15, we read uh, God's uh, word, the oracles that Isaiah declared against Damascus. Damascus is the capital of Syria. And we read Isaiah's words against Cush. Cush is modern-day Ethiopia. And in those days, uh, it was the seat of power for Egypt. And so we read in chapters 17 through 19 various words of judgment and destruction and, uh, and ruin against Syria, Cush, and Egypt. And then in chapter 20, uh, we see that God's oracles, God's judgment oracles against Egypt and Cush are embodied in, in the person and in the body of the prophet Isaiah, as a prophetic enactment, God tells Isaiah, uh, strip off and take off your sandals and walk around naked. And that is a prophetic enactment of what, what the judgment that God is purposing, uh, God has purposed to bring against Egypt and Cush. That is to say, uh, the vast bulk of chapters 17 through 20 uh, We find God's judgment words against these nations, and a prophetic enactment for that judgment. But what for? To teach us something very important, and that is this. At this time, Israel was a small nation and too weak to defend herself against the Assyrian Empire. Assyria was a large, powerful, violent empire with great ambitions to spread and grow. And Israel is facing an imminent threat from the Assyrians. And by this time, Israel is thinking that the stories of God rescuing and delivering his people is nothing more than children's fairy tales. You see, they have stopped believing in God. They have stopped trusting God's deliverance. And they have convinced themselves and they were sure that God was not going to deliver them from the Assyrians this time. And so Israel looked elsewhere for help. First, Israel entered into an alliance with Damascus, with Syria, to strengthen her position against Assyria. But this would not turn out as they had hoped. So we read in chapter 17 verses 1 and 4, the Lord declares through the prophet Isaiah, Behold, Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. And in that day, the glory of Jacob will be brought low. You see, what ends up happening is that Israel had entered into an alliance, a military alliance to strengthen her positions against Assyria. But Assyria easily dispatched Assyria and her forces. And Syria became ruined. And Israel discovers that turning to Damascus for help instead of turning to the lord is a disastrous mistake but unfortunately israel was not done you see assyria was uh, to israel's north and as that assyrian empire was growing egypt and kush which was uh, which were to israel's south they felt that they needed to intervene and they looked at the, the area of Palestine. And it, it was an area that served as a buffer between the Assyrian Empire to the north and their own empire to the south of Egypt and Kush. And knowing that, and seeing the growing threat of Assyria, they, uh, they decided to intervene and they campaigned uh, with the Palestinian states, including Israel, Moab, and Edom. And they encouraged the Palestinian states to fight against Assyria. And Egypt promised, If you will rebel against Assyria, we will help you. We will send you military. We will send you resources to help you fight off the Assyrians. And Israel bought into that. They bought it hook and sink. And many of the Palestinian nations rebelled against Assyria. But when they did, Egypt broke its promises and hung them out to dry. Egypt did not come to their help, did not send resources or military, and the Palestinian state suffered heavy casualty and loss. And indeed, Assyria eventually defeated Egypt and took her people As captives. And this is what we read in chapter 20, as God commands Isaiah to prophetically act out what will happen to Egypt. In chapter 20, verses 3 to 5, as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush. So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles. Then, then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of Kush their hope and of Egypt their boast. You see, Israel trusted in Egypt's empty promises. Instead of turning to God for help, Instead of seeking his resources, Israel turned to Egypt and believed in Egypt's empty promises. And they had nothing to show for trusting in Egypt except a very painful regret. Now, what is this teaching us this morning? The fatal mistake that Israel made was to assume that their problems were too big for God, and that God would not and could not come and help them. And not trusting God to help them, they turned to man for help. And I wonder if this is a lesson that we can all identify with and we can all relate to. We all have problems in our lives, don't we? And have you ever uh, said to yourself quietly in your heart, you know, the problems that I am facing, they're far too big. And besides, God seems uninterested. He seems distant. I cannot rely on God. I have to find my own way. I have to save myself. I have to trust in my wits. Do we do that? I think we do that sometimes. But what we are seeing clearly here is that when we trust man instead of God, when we turn from trusting God to trust in man, it will end disastrously. It does no good to trust in man. Secondly, we see God's unfathomable mercy. God's unfathomable mercy. We don't often see things clearly precisely at the moment. We need to see things clearly because as Israel was entering into an alliance with Syria and as Israel was entering into a a relationship with Egypt and Cush, the prophet Isaiah could see clearly that Israel was making a huge and monumental mistake. But the thing is, Israel needed to see that. But at the moment when they needed to see clearly, Israel could not see it. Now, we have to understand, of course, that that Israel was in a tough spot. They were facing war, against a vastly more powerful and a violent nation, empire. The situation that they were facing was no ordinary situation. It was a difficult, it was a tough situation. And even so, and perhaps because the situation was so dire and so critical, in the fog of war, The things that should have been clear became murky. And in that fog of war, foolishness sounded like wise counsel. And I think we sometimes face similar situations and similar circumstances when our problems look so big and God seems distant and uninterested. You know, that is the fog of war speaking. And it is really to clear the fog of war we have in chapter 19, verses 16 through 25, a surprising declaration of God's unfathomable and unsearchable mercy. And reading this, we are left utterly speechless. Because in chapter 19, verse 19 and on, this is what we read. In that day, now, by the way, these words are following God's words of the uh, judgment ruined destruction against egypt Cush, and other surrounding nations but this is what we read in that day and remember that phrase in that day is pointing to the far off event from their perspective of god coming with power and setting up his kingdom in power through his messiah In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. He will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship. Do you hear what is being said? God did declare judgment against Egypt and Cush. But God's will for them was not to bring them to ruin because God's final purpose for them was to make them His children. And then it continues, chapter 19, verse 23, In that day, Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. Who are the Assyrians? Assyrians are the bullies. They are the the enemies and the foes of God's people who are afflicting pain and misery upon God's people. And yes, God did promise to judge them for their sin, but once again, God's final purpose for them was not to leave them ruined and destroyed, but to bring them into His kingdom. Chapter 19, verse 24. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Once again, Assyria was Israel's enemy and foe and oppressor. Egypt was an oath-breaker, a bad neighbor, and former oppressor to Israel. Israel itself is an idolatrous nation. But to Egypt, he says, My people. To Assyria, God says, "My, The work of my hands. And to the idolatrous Israel, he says, My inheritance. And the Lord says, Together you will worship me together. You will be precious to me. I will save you and I will rescue you and I will bless you. To think then, to think that God could not help Israel against Assyria, You see, Israel would not trust God to defeat their enemies for them. But God promised to do one better. God would turn foes into friends. God will bring peace where there is violence and hostility. God will bring friendship and oneness where there is division. And this is amazing, isn't it? God's plan. His plan was not to contain uh, His blessings or to contain the knowledge of Himself within the borders of Israel. But His plan was to make His blessings flow to the whole world from and through Israel. And the question, of course, is this, the, the thing that we have to realize if God is willing to do this for those who are not His people, if God was willing to do this and bless so greatly those who were opposed to His reign and to His people, how much more, how much more was He committed to His covenant people? And this is what we realize. Yes, Israel was in a tough spot. Their situation, their prospects were dire. And in the fog of war, the reality, the things that should have been clear and obvious became murky. And it all happened because Israel forgot that God is good and gracious. And Israel forgot that God was committed to them as their father, as their covenant Lord, as their shepherd. And forgetting who God is, forgetting how committed God was to them, and because at this time the word of God has ceased to have any functional influence over Israel, they were sunk into the fog of war where truth became fuzzy hope was lost, and nothing was clear anymore. And that is a lesson for us too. We too live in a troubled world. We too live with the tension, and we too face the fog of war. Things that should be clear isn't always clear to us, and we can tell sometimes what is wisdom and what is foolishness. And that happens when we are not living by the Word of God because we can see life clearly only, only when God's Word and promises drive away the fog of war. And so thirdly and finally, we end with this. That God is bigger. God is bigger. Now, loved ones, I hope you will not ridicule Israel because we make the same mistakes that they made. And rather than ridiculing Israel and rather than talking down to them with a condescending attitude, understand That everything that God taught Israel over generations and many years, God meant for us to understand and learn from them. And so we need to understand that you and I, we also live with a tension. Because we are a small minority in a world that does not know God or love God. And in the fog of war, our grip on God's word and promises is not as strong as it should be and as it ought to be. And in this fog of war, it is so tempting and so easy to think that God is either unable to help us or He is uninterested and unwilling to help us today. And so nothing, nothing is more important in the fog of war than holding on to God and His promises. Notice what Isaiah says in chapter 19, verse 25. Isaiah prophesied that that day, when God's kingdom comes in power through the Messiah, uh, Isaiah promised that God will say, Blessed be Egypt, my people you remember back in Exodus when God sent word through Moses? What did He say to Pharaoh? Let my people go. And when He said that, He made a clear distinction between Israel, His people, and the Egypt and Egyptians. Israel was God's people; Egypt was not. But here, on the day that Christ comes in power and God's kingdom draws near, God promised to say, "Blessed be Egypt." My people. God counts people who were once strangers and alienated from Him, and He calls them My people. And of course, you and I know exactly how this was accomplished. Jesus came, God with us, and He became the shepherd of all who would trust Him, lean on Him, and follow Him. And once again, here also what he says about Assyria. God calls Assyria the work of my hands, my workmanship. And you remember in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, how Paul, he calls every believer, Jew and Gentiles alike, who have come to Jesus by trusting him, and who are saved by grace and by faith alone. How Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, For we are his workmanship. We are the work of God's hands. And do you see here that Isaiah was looking forward to the day of Christ, to the cross that reconciles sinners to God, turns enemies into friends and to children, And these promises were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That is why today, the knowledge of God was not contained within Israel, but the knowledge of God spread from Israel to the ends of the world. And there are believers in Egypt and what was Assyria and even throughout the whole world. And God calls them and God calls you because we are the fulfillment of this promise when God promised to save people from every tribe, nation, and language and make them His people and His workmanship. And Jesus is the reason why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Do you know what Paul is telling us? Paul is telling us that in Jesus, and we are in Jesus, through his death and resurrection, we have become God's people And we are declared to be his workmanship, the work of his hands. And in Jesus, God is greater and he is far bigger than our problems. And in Jesus, God is far more gracious and loving than we can ever dare hope or imagine. Are you in a fog of war? Have things become murky? You can't see the way forward. Are you troubled in heart? Know this, loved ones, that in Jesus, God is bigger than your problems and He is far more gracious, far more loving than you and I can ever hope or imagine or think. Trust them. And let the cross of Jesus Christ, His promises and His love, drive away the fog, and you will see clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that though you judge sin, you rescue sinners. And so you promised to save Egypt and Assyria and indeed the whole world. And we, we are the very fulfillment of the promise. And we thank and praise you. And we pray that you would help us to hold on to your word and your promises so that the fog of war will be driven away from our eyes so that we may see clearly and know And be confident that you are good and kind and gracious. So Father, we come to you with all of our needs, all of our troubles, all of our sorrows, worries, and fear. And we pray, help us. We turn to you, not to man. We turn to you and know that you are sufficient, you are able, and you love us.